Hello and welcome to Geekscant, the home of RPG goodness and general tomfoolery. My name is Zach, and today we got another special podcast for you. Uh, this is the second seminar that we did at GaryCon 2023. This one was the third-party RPG system licensing panel. Um, a very technical panel, um, but it ended up with some really good discussion. This was myself and uh, my good friend and our client, uh, Jeffrey Jones, Jeff Jones from RPG Ramblings. Um, he's done things like Gary's Appendix and Fan of the Fly God with us. Um, so we just sat down and talked about like what's the world of third-party publishing and RPGs look like right now. A lot of it ended up being a discussion on 5e and the OGL and things, but there's some other stuff in there too, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, so here we go. All right, well, welcome to the Navigating Third-Party Licenses panel here at GaryCon. Um, my name is Zach Goins. I'm the creative director at a company called World of Game Design. We do uh, publishing for a bunch of uh, different systems from 5e to OSE, Morkborg, Mothership, um, and then we work alongside other folks that make things like 2D20 and uh, some of the other larger systems, Wyhonder. So the goal of the panel, from my point of view, is we've had to learn a lot over the last few years about what each of these licenses comes as with its own little requirements and, and necessary things or costs. And, um, it all, each one of those also has each one of these licenses and systems has their own size of community and right. supportive community. So hopefully we can give you some tools. If you're thinking about creating stuff for these different systems, hopefully we can give you some tools that'll help, um, know which ones might, might work out best for you. So, I'm Zach, and uh, go ahead, Jeff. I am Jeff Jones. Uh, am I loud enough? Yeah, you can. Okay. Uh, RPG Ramblings, I do a podcast, and also do publishing. So, I've published uh, using the, the OGL for a, a publication called Gary's Appendix, an OSE product, and um, trying to think the and also during the Madlands, which I use the OSE, and also uh, coming up with Traveler. Uh, using the travel well, it's Mon or the Cephas engine um, SRD, you know, and um, so that's pretty much me. I'm in the midst of I'm not as uh, Zach's been in the game longer than I have, but I've been kind of just dipping my toe the last couple of years and getting more serious. So from my vantage point, I can probably say I guess some insight. Yeah, absolutely. So the the sheet that I gave you, um, it's just a reference. You guys can take this home though, um, and I tried to be as concise as possible, but also give you some links so that you can read further if you want. But um, what I tried to do is compile like the, and it's front and back, it's like 20, 25 different RPG systems that are out there that have some sort of a license that you can publish under and kind of giving you the details of, of how those different licenses work. Um, the main thing to keep in mind there is that this is as of March 2023, right? And we know from the OGL situation that licenses change and, and things evolve. So this is a great starting point and hopefully nothing wild happens in the next six months again. <laughs> but, uh, uh, hopefully, hopefully there's at least one or two things on there that catch your eye. Try to grab all the bigger systems that have open gaming licenses so that you have a good, you have a good spread. 
Probably should mention that we're not lawyers. Yeah, absolutely. Not lawyers. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. Any advice you take from us is at your own personal risks. So. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, we are not absolutely not lawyers. This is just two guys that have had to navigate this for the last few years. And so we're going to try to share some of that understanding. Um, well, let's dive in and let's talk a little bit. Let's, you know, we'll probably bounce around a little bit. We're not going to cover everyone on this list. Um, but you mentioned uh, the 5e situation. And so we can kind of start there. Um, it's a, it's an, it, I, I guess what's the advantage of, of utilizing the, uh, the current system through one bookshelf? Versus the, like, maybe that's a good place to start. Why, why would you even want to go outside? And what do you lose when you go outside of one bookshelf? Yeah, that's a good, good start. So, uh, you had mentioned you publish a lot of things through DMs Guild. Um, so you're well familiar with this, I'm sure, but the main, the easiest thing that you can do or the, the most direct thing that you can do for 5e is you can write something. You can even write it in the Forgotten Realms or in some of the other settings that, um, that Watsi has put out over the years. Yes. Um, you can write in those places. You can write adventures. You can write new player options. You can expand their settings, all these sorts of things, as long as you publish through the DMs Guild, which is an online website. Um, most of the DMs Guild is digital only, but they do allow some print-on-demand options for uh, a select number of creators. Um, if you publish through the DMs Guild, though, the main thing there is that they take 50% as a royalty. So, uh, 50 cents out of every dollar goes to, um, one bookshelf slash Watsy. And I think that their agreement is something like a 20, 30 split on that. So they're both taking a cut and then you get the other 50%. Um, I published a lot under the DM skilled when I first started out. Uh, it's definitely where, um, where I got my first credits, where I first did my first collaborations were on the DM skilled, um, doing a lot of 5e stuff. A lot of, met a lot of really cool people there. Um, the thing that kind of steered me away from it eventually was 50% is a lot to pay for a royalty. And, you know, five years ago, eight years ago, the DMs Guild wasn't saturated. And you could put out a quality product. And if it was, if it was pretty decent, if it was nice, if it had a nice cover, you could, you could get some traction and you could make some money on it. You know, it wasn't a ton of money, but, you know, I, Talk to creators regularly who could tell you five years ago they made $30,000 on a DMs Guild product. Um, it was definitely possible. At this point in time, it's still possible, but it's a lot harder and it's for a lot fewer people. Um, the DMs Guild has become largely a place for, you know, a few dozen high-end, uh, well-known creators to release their stuff. And then everybody else kind of fills in the gaps behind. Um, and, Again, you can still make money. I still get a royalty check every month from my stuff on the DMs Guild. And, you know, I think I probably have 30, 40 products on there. And I think I make probably 50 bucks a month, roughly, in royalty. So it's not bad. Um, but eventually, when you want your own stuff in print and you don't want to pay a 50% royalty, you look out elsewhere um, for 5e. Right. And I think also, no matter what you're doing, especially with that, you're going to need to be publishing often yep. in order to keep... You're, you know, it churning and your, your material coming up to the forefront. Otherwise, it will just die off and tail off. Absolutely. Both DMs Guild and Drive Through, one of the best ways for you to sell more stuff is to release new stuff because DMs Guild and Drive Through both recommend products 
by the same author down along the bottom. So if you're collaborating with people and getting your cre- your name credited on their stuff, or if you're just putting out stuff, you'll see a longer tail on all of your older library um, as well. Six months ago, I would say, and the uh, the OGL is super easy too, and that's that's a cakewalk, and uh, it's great, and that's that's a way to go. Um, all that has changed. All that has changed. Um, I mean, and, and arguably at this point, it's changed for the better uh, in the sense yes. that yes, right now you have a couple of options. Um, after the whole OGL debacle, what we have right now is there's an OGL still. You can publish under that. Um, still with an asterisk. Still with an asterisk. Yeah, yeah. It may <laughs> it may go away, but right now you can still publish under an OGL, um, which is just a license that you put in the back of your book. It's a one-page document, um, and it says, hey, the this product is um, utilizing a rule set that's owned by Wizards of the Coast. And if you put that in the back of your book and you don't mention the words Dungeons & Dragons or Wizards of the Coast anywhere else in your book, um, you can publish for free, right? Like, they don't take a royalty at all. Um, and it's super nice. Like, I published a ton of stuff that way. Um, and there's other uh, companies that use that OGL besides just D&D. That's the same OGL. Yeah. You know, so Cephas Engine and I think there's a couple others. Old School Essentials, a few things like that, OSE, um, have taken that OGL and they've even made their own hack, their own system and published, you know, whole lines of books under it. So a lot of people have used the OGL over the last 20 years. And it's all tied to the same OGL. Yeah, exactly. Even if you want to publish for previous adventures, uh, previous editions like third edition or second edition, you can do that using the uh, Wizards OGLs. So, um, Super handy as far as that goes, and it's free. Now you also have a second option, which is the Creative Commons license that they put out, which basically gets rid of that whole back page open gaming license document that you have to put in your book, and instead it replaces it with just a with a little paragraph that you put in the title section of the book that just says this this game uses a rule set that's in the Creative Commons, um, and it's just a quick little note that way. Um, you can there's links to those two um, documents and what you have to say on your sheet there. But basically, both of them are free. They've given two options. I think they'll eventually whittle it down to just one. But for right now, you can have both and kind of pick whichever one you want. I don't know that there's a real... I have yet to determine that there's a very strong reason at the moment to choose one over the other. Neither one of them costs a royalty. Neither one of them allow you to do anything else. Like, it's, it's pretty much just... Pick your poison between the two. And well, I think the idea that the, the language is now in question in the in the OGL, so it gets enough for people to want to disavow it. Yeah, I think the OGL is the Watsy answer that they would like for you to use because it puts a long piece of legalese text in the back of your book, and it has their name in it and all that. They would love for you to use that OGL um, because it's it's branding for them, right? And it, it's meant protecting their IP in a bigger way. But the Creative Commons license is completely legal and completely just, a, you can use it, no problem. Yeah, I think because the video game industry, it's the, the way it's initially been used, I think it keeps it from being challenged. Yeah. Where a lot of the stuff with the D&D stuff has not been challenged, the SRD has not been challenged, or the OGL. Yeah. So the OGL also comes with, so the 5e OGL Open Gaming License, or the Watsi Open Gaming License, comes along with a document called the SRD, or the system reference document. And that system reference document is the full rule set that you're allowed to use. 
So it has classes, it has monsters, it has some spells, it has a few things like that. That is the, all of that you can copy into your 5e book word for word verbatim. As long as it's in the SRD, you can use it in your product. That's, that's the reason that you can say, make a strength saving throw, or you can use the, the stat block for the orc or whatever. Like all of that is completely allowed via the SRD. If it's not in the SRD, you cannot use it if it's published by Watsi. So as an example of that, you know, one of the monsters that they really love is the Beholder. Well, the Beholder is not in the SRD. So even though it's published in their monster manual and all that, um, just keep in mind that, um, it's not something that you can use. You always need to reference back to the SRD and make sure that if you're copying something that Watsi's already published, that it is referenced there, then you're good to go. If it's not, you can't. Yeah, so you could do stuff that's kind of already existing, but like like the straw bit. There's no, you can't they can't trademark the vampire. Right. But they can, you know, straw and a lot of these other things that go with that they can. So you're still out variation, but you still gotta be careful about anything that infringes clearly on something that's theirs. A couple of quick questions. Yeah. Um, so I think you're allowed to say compatible with 5e. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Correct? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Well, you can say you can actually you can just yeah. say 5e because like, it's not tied to D and D. Yeah, 5e yeah, isn't something. Just compatible with 5e. Yeah, you can say compatible with 5e. You can say 5e. You just can't say Dun- Dungeons and Dragons or D and D. Right. Um, so as long as you've done that, now there there is talk about them putting out a compatible with D and D logo that you can use, but right now that's not on the table. Um, so right now, just you can make your own five. 5e or compatible with 5e logo or there's ones that you can pick up that people have put out there that you can just use for free um there's several on drive through rpg that a lot of publishers use to mark that their product is fifth edition compatible another quick question more sticky question sure say you wanted to put something that that is there it's like a beholder uh could you rearrange the stat block call it like the 10 eye yep absolutely chungus Big eyed Chungus, yeah, that's what somebody did recently. Levi. Yeah, Levi. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you if you like the other one is a mind flayer, right? Like they they've locked down the mind flayer, but we want to use. I mean, there's, some of those things are like you know kind of core to what we imagine D and D being, right? And so you know, look no further than Pathfinder, right? Like they have their own versions of all that stuff, and you can too. Just just change the name, and uh, you know your art can look extremely similar. Um, like you said, you can have a, a you know, ten-eyed. Steal the art from the page. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and, don't. And I heard somewhere too that uh, if you're doing something that's protected, you have to be careful when you're doing the stat block not to do it exactly the same way they. Well, if it if it's in the SRD, you can copy it straight over. I think what you're talking about also is, is also trade dress, and that's very. I think when you're on the GM's guild, I think they overlooked that, but that trade dress. If you're not, if you're doing it on your own, you better be careful that you're not making it look exactly like a, a fifth edition product. You're talking about like the, the layout and the colors. Yeah, the stat box. I think that's probably getting in trouble, right? There, as long as it's in the SRD, you can make it look exactly the same. And, and if it's not in the SRD, like you mentioned, Curse of Str- like Strahd, right? Like if you want to make, if you want your own vampire lord and you want him to be a reference to Strahd, you can look at the Strahd stat block from Curse of Strahd and get inspiration from it. But right. you couldn't copy it over word, word for oh, word. You're talking about what's in the stat block or are you talking about the formatting of the stat block? I was talking about the formatting. Yeah, I think it's more trade dress if you if your product's exactly like a fifth edition. Yeah, but there's a lot of leeway there. They, I mean, there's 
thousands of 5e books and a lot of them look super similar to Watsi and nobody's gotten like nobody's got the hammer down yet that's, that's yeah yeah i yeah for, for me personally i would you know that's that's a hard point part because people who are i believe i'm not a 5e player but i believe 5e players want a certain look they want a certain aesthetic yep. mm-hmm. and i think you know you want to be able to provide that um, but I think also the, the more it copies it, the more opportunities there is for somebody. I think we're too small for people to care. But, you know, if you're doing an exact copy of, of how they're doing things, you, you run more of a risk, I think. One other stupid question. No. Oh, great. So if you were planning on putting out something where you were, like, say you wanted to put out a, a monster game, uh, and you're going to put, you know, maybe 50 new monsters, but you wanted to actually make a compilation that held all of the monsters. So there's a lot of people that have done like a monster manual or a, a monster compendium or bestiary, you know, stuff like that for 5e. There's a lot of them out there. Not a problem at all. If you wanted to include all of the SR- monsters in the SRD, that's not a problem at all. And then if you want to add 200 monsters of your own, not a problem at all. The main thing is just look at it and say, okay, let's, I'll give an example. Um, there is um, White Claw, I think it's what, they're not White Claw, White Talon, White White Claw Orcs, that'd be awesome. Um, I think they're called uh, White Talon Orcs um, that are in Volo's Guide. Those aren't in the SRD, but the Orc stat block is in the SRD. Right. So you could put the Orc in your book, no problem. The, and you could you could do your own variants and say that these are black talon orcs and they're going to feel very similar to white talon but they're going to be you know ever so slightly different that's fine again i think i think that i've published i don't know hundreds and hundreds of monsters and written a bunch of stuff for 5e at this point and i would say like i've never gotten i've never heard of anyone getting in trouble i've never gotten in trouble myself or gotten a letter not to say it couldn't happen but so my rule of thumb is if I want to be heavily inspired by a locked out stat block, I really think about, you know, how close am I, how close am I getting with the words and with, especially like if, if, if the white talon orc has a special ability that's called, you know, uh, you know, pale trace or something, I'm not going to say the black talon one also has an ability called pale trace because that's, uh, that's blatant, right? right. Um, but as long as you're shifting things around, like I mean, that's the name of the game. Reskinning, reskinning, absolutely. Okay. The the other thing is right. Like, there's a huge argument right now about, and again, not lawyers, but um, there's a huge <laughs> argument right now about is mechanics even viable to copyright? Can yeah, they even yeah, can they even lock those out? Right? Like you said, the video game industry's already been tested. Yeah. Uh, well, the problem I think why the, even the the board game hasn't really been tested, other than something very simple. Yeah, it it's possible. I don't think it's likely, but it's possible. I, I would say the big thing there is like, um, yes, it's it seems like legally, Wathi or whoever would have a hard time, you know, winning in court. But the reality is that they have way more money to throw at a court case than we do, right? So it's not worth. The gamble of, and I've seen a few creators just go out and say, I'm going to publish all the mechanics that I want to from them because they can't copyright. I'm like, yeah, but they can drown you in a legal battle for three years. So, um, you know, just, just be reasonable. And Right. I think the thing is, I think there's some people to have rewritten and re, I don't know that it still comes back to, I think 
one copying is definitely a problem. And, um, and I don't know, that's a good question. You know, the mechanics, it's hard because mechanics start, you can see mechanics over time, different systems create certain things and they'll, they'll, there'll be synthesis and more synthesis. I think it's harder to disentangle, but, yeah. but um, I don't know. <laughs> it's the reality is that you can make it as much of a problem as you want to, right? Um, yeah. So as long as you're putting their license in the back or using their Creative Commons thing in the front, and as long as you're being somewhat reasonable, it's not going to be an issue. But if you want to make it an issue, you can absolutely drown yourself in issues. Well, I think the question too is: Are you creating a your own core rule book, or are you creating a something? And that's yeah. where I think it starts becoming a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what do you mean? What, what you mean by that is like, are you putting out a monster manual that goes along with everything that's came out for five E before? That's not going to be a big deal. Right. You're going to have a lot of leeway if you're trying to rival five E, rival Watsy by putting out your own system, and you're breaking all the rules. That's my guess is you're probably going to see somebody. You know, you're going to get a letter. Faster that way. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And a letter might be. I mean, I've I've talked to folks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we can we can bounce back to five E for a little bit, um, or we can come back to it. But what I kind of thought maybe we would do is just kind of give an overview of what some of the other licenses oh, yeah. look like, just so you have some idea of like, okay, so the OGL looks like this. What other what do other games look like as far as their licenses? Um. A lot of people are exploring new systems right now, right, and seeing what they can do. That's what a lot of this will be on your handout. Um, but I'll just cover a couple, and then we can we can go from there. A couple of the big ones. Um, DCC, MCC, that's in the top right on the first page. Um, that's an OSR gaming system, if you're not uh, familiar with it. It's put out by Goodman Games. They have a lot of cool games uh, being ran here and a lot of stuff at their booth. That's awesome. Uh, love DCC. DCC is free to publish under. Um, so they have their own uh, um, license, and you can create your own DCC content. They have a logo that says compatible with DCC that you can use, or MCC. Um, the main thing that they want is for you to reach out to them ahead of time and say, hey... I'm, I'm writing this book, just want to let you know, you know, and, and kind of run it by you. I've never heard of anybody get rejected, but... But um, you better submit a copy before you do anything. Yeah, yeah. They just want, they want to see what their brand is being associated with before it goes out into the public. Um, the flip side of that is, or the, the cool side is that once you do publish it, um, they will... Uh, they will purchase copies of your finished book and they will advertise your book alongside other third-party creators on their website. Um, and they're so, supportive of everybody. Like, if you're just a, a new guy starting out and creating an adventure, they're not going to turn you down. They're not going to say, we expect you to have a, you know, you know, a certain amount of art budget and certain amount of... They will support every creator. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. It's DCC's really great about that. The main thing is just to... To, that they want to know ahead of time, um, and you will get an email from them because I learned that the hard way. Uh, it was it was all done, what? you know, several years ago. What? But I didn't know this. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I wrote an adventure and I was releasing it for Five E and um, a couple other systems, kind of conversions for each one. And I just put on the Kickstarter page like, hey, I'm gonna, you know, it's already done for Five E. I'm gonna do conversions for these other things, and I got a nice email. For, it was it was very nice. They were super nice, but they were like, hey. 
we would love this to be in our system, but we need to see a copy of it before you promote it as being that way. And so, um, you know, all I had to do, I took the logo off the Kickstarter page and they were completely happy. And yeah, it, it was not, it was not difficult, but there is a rule that you do have to follow. Yep. Um, so that, that's, and they're also a very strong community. Yep. Yeah. Very strong community. All of these that we're going to talk about after 5e though have exponentially smaller communities than 5e. So if you're, if you're out to make money, as your primary goal and how much money can I make right now? 5e is the way to go, right? If you're doing Kickstarters or you're doing whatever, like 5e Kickstarters, there's, there's a hundred thousand dollar 5e Kickstarter that happens every week. That's just the reality. Um, that's not to say that yours is going to do a hundred thousand, but it's to say that the ceiling is higher for a lot of 5e stuff than for other stuff. Um, every once in a while, a project will break through from another system, and you know, I wonder what the percentage out. of them that don't fund. That would be interesting. There'd be a lot of metrics on there. Is that? Yeah, that's a good other way to flip that. Is to say that the five E Kickstarter and the five E crowdfunders, there's more that don't fund for five E than a lot of other things because the five E community has a expectation of quality. So there is quite a few, yeah. and just the numbers, right? Because there's there's six five E Kickstarters that launch every week. Right. One or two of them are gonna, aren't gonna fund. And there's maybe one DCC project that launches on Kickstarter every two weeks. Well, that community can much more easily support that one project. And they're usually at smaller price points or uh, funding levels, I should say. Yeah. Another one that's on here that I know you can speak to as well. Um, it's on the back page. Um, but old school essentials or OSE. This is another one that is, uh, that uses the OGL. Um, it uses the OGL for AD&D, and they kind of stripped down and redefined and, and cleaned up the language and all that for um, uh, uh, that older edition of D&D and released what they call Old School Essentials. Old School Essentials is A, an awesome system, yeah, and B, an easy system to write for, and C, completely free to publish under. Um, and it has a good community. Yeah, I think also the the rules are so stripped down, it's not it's real easy. Like if you want to create creatures, it's it's not hard at all to reskin and it's pretty minimalistic as far as abilities go for both the ventures and for the, the creatures. So that one's a much easier system to I think make stuff up for. Like like if I was to go right now do <clears throat> if I was to take uh, and write adventure for Mutant Crawl Classics, right now, I, there's no way I would just do it on my own because, or Ninja Crawl Classics, I'm going to start doing that. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, there's a lot of nuance to that rule, the rules that don't exist with Old School Essentials. Old School Essentials, you can probably sit down, write an adventure, and stat out a thing in a very short amount of time without having to really worry about it. Because you're also not worried about balance as much as you are with 5e. Yeah. You know, so... So that's a couple of like OSR style systems that are free and that have a community and that are good to publish on and, and you can make money on and, and they can be successful. You can publish them under DriveThruRPG afterwards if you want to sell them, um, which is based – DriveThruRPG is just the the uh, generic version of DMs Guild where you can publish anything you want. Um, I recommend if you do publish on DriveThruRPG, uh, make sure that my suggestion is um, – do it with the non-exclusive form of their license. So they have two options when you publish. One is exclusive. Your product is only going to be on drive-through. The other option is um, non-exclusive, and you're going to give them an extra 5% by being non-exclusive. But it allows you to do things like put them on your own website or print out books and take them to cons and things like that. So 
if you can, I would always recommend it's worth trading out the 5% extra on well, their Well, I think they'd be careful. There's also the community content, which is different. Yeah, yeah. And we'll talk about that. We can talk about that right now if you want to. Well, yeah, I think it might be good for some of this because you can go e- some. You can go either direction with on some of these project products. Yeah. So let's go to the other extreme end of this, right? So OSE, DCC, super easy to publish under. They don't want a royalty. Cakewalk. Other end of the spectrum, someone like Chaosium with Call of Cthulhu. Um, Call of Cthulhu is locked down pretty tight as a, as a company and as a, as a system. You can publish under Drive-Thru RPG under their community program yep. there, which is called Miskatonic uh, Repository. They take a 50% fee just like DM's Guild. Um, and if you want to do anything other than that, you have to reach out to Chaosium yes. and basically sign an agreement, a contract with them, and they're going to take a royalty. Um, so, that is actually way more common for the popular systems that it's locked down and that it's very limited how you can publish than the other side of things, which is it's free, right? So when we talk about 5e and the OGL, like in comparison to a lot of other systems, this is far and above a great deal for creators. Um, it's always been a great deal for creators. It continues to be a great deal for creators. Um, and there's a lot of systems that are way more restrictive. So, like, if you want to do a <coughs> the Call of Cthulhu, the royalty works is you pay you pay a certain amount of royalty up front. So you may pay five thousand dollars up front, and maybe they're charging like a three percent royalty. And when you when you go to fund it, as it's going along, they won't charge that three percent until you reach past that that five thousand dollars. So, but that five thousand dollars you write that check for, yeah, you know. Yeah, you know that that is definitely uh, money that you're having to put up ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. Another one uh, that just came onto the scene um, that I really like the systems, and I think it, it'll be really cool to write for them uh, in the future. But two D twenty Modifius, they just put out their World Builders program, which is their open gaming license. Um, they give you a fifty percent cut on drive through as well if you publish through there. But the cool thing about them is not only do you if you publish on drive-thru, not only can you make a general 2D20 game, but they're also opened up some of their properties so that you can write for those like settings and systems and things like that. Um, so like their Akjong Cthulhu um, line and several others, you can actually write. And they have asset packs on there that you yes. can actually like download for free and make your book look like it's a professionally A lot of those community book. content programs do offer, that's one advantage. Yeah. Is you can spruce it up. They'll give you a template. They'll give you art. Yeah, yeah. Um, the World Builders program also has kind of similar to Chaosium. Um, you can publish outside drive-through with them as well. And if you reach out to them, they want a 10% cut of your first core book and then 5% off of each accessory or supplement after that. But that would be your own setting, your own. That would That's be your own stuff. That be right. Exactly. If you want to do your own 2D20 thing, it's going to be that way. So you can't well, do John Carter of Mars That's right. on your own. That's right. 
That's right. The the cool thing about that though is that they they have committed to if you go that route, if you don't want to do the drive through route and you want to publish it on your own and you reach out to them and you sign the contract to do the royalties, they will promote your stuff and they will work alongside you to make sure that your books look as good as possible. So they're pledging to support their creator community and give them resources and advice and you know things like that. So there's a lot of cool stuff even on these restricted ones like those two. Right. I guess there's you have something like you know I don't want. To- there's a value when you when you when you go through like uh, have the advanced D or advanced D and D fifth edition, you know official. There's a lot of value just in having that. So I think the idea is that, but I don't think D and D doesn't need individual people buying into it. Yeah, where, where people like Modiphius, it's actually becomes a partnership. So they're wanting you to succeed. They're wanting to grow their brand. They want other people to to come into it. So. Yeah. A um, couple others, and then we can kind of like have a few minutes for questions and whatnot. Um, wanted to kind of cover a couple more that are really, really popular and also free. Um, Morkborg is a really great, like super rules light, D20 based um, system that is 100% free. Has a um, has a little tiny disclaimer license that you have to put in the front of the book. Other than that, you're good to go. They also offer logos that say compatible with Markborg and use their logo. So um, you can uh, you can make your product look super official through them, and and a lot of creators are making some some nice money there. Same thing with Mothership, which is on the second page. Mothership is a sci-fi horror system. Um, a lot of creators are doing very well doing the Mothership stuff yeah. right now. Um, it is. It is like DCC in that you need to reach out to them ahead of time and show them what you got. But they approve like almost everything as far as that goes. And um, they all give you a logo that you can use and all that. And then they don't ask for a royalty on the back end. So Mothership and Morkborg are two that on Kickstarter, on crowdfunding, and just in general have really great communities, very supportive communities, and um, are really easy to create for. Yes. Year Zero is becoming the same way. That's Free League. And I know you've got some experience there. Well, uh, well, we'll be. We'll see. <laughs> That'll be my, my next, uh, my next launching. Yeah. So, I mean, they, I think with a lot of these, especially going on with the, with the, uh, the fiasco that was with the, um, OGL, a lot of these companies have revisited their own, um, SRDs, uh, and a lot of have amped them up. And so you're, and they're wanting people to start publishing for, for them. So I think there's definitely opportunities with like year zero and with, uh, because I didn't even know until recently Savage Worlds had that opening. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do a sword and sorcery, uh, thing. Why not also do a version later on for, you know, for that? Cause yeah. that's definitely a, a, a key to that. So, um, a lot of these, if you start looking at the SRDs, um, they, they are pretty robust, like a lot more content than they used to have. Yep. Yep. Um, we can cover others, but I mean, we could be here for two hours talking about all these different systems. So we got a few minutes left. Is there specific questions or other things that we haven't covered yet you'd like to, us to tackle? So you guys planning on, on keeping it digital or are you planning on printing? I'm strictly digital at this point. Strictly digital? Yeah. DMs Guild. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if I mean, ultimately, it would be cool to be able to do books. Mm-hmm. Maybe do a Kickstarter, but um, I'm kind of waiting to see how work plays out. Uh huh. 
Because I'm interested in Pathfinder 2 and possibly Black Flag. Yeah, you had talked a little bit about Black Flag early on, and um, we can talk about that for a couple minutes, sure. just some of that that's come out. Um, so, yeah, obviously the OGL blew up. And when the OGL blew up, some companies kind of decided that they were going to start cutting ties. Some of them committed to fully cutting ties, and then they kind of walked back that. And some of them, you know, it was a variety of responses. But one of the responses was Orc from Pathfinder and um, uh, uh, Black Flag from Cobalt Press. Yep. Um, I think both of those things are really cool, and I really want to support them. Um, I'm, I'm always supportive of... of publishers going out on a limb and trying new things and creating their own systems or their own variants on systems and whatnot. Um, and I think that the idea of we want to create a system or a license or whatever you want to call it that allows there to be a space for 5e creators indefinitely is a really good initiative, right? Um, I think that and, and, and you'll see if you go to the Black Flag, the Cobalt Press website or whatnot, you'll see that they've got a lot of partnerships or, or team-ups with a lot of other big publishers in that space. Um, I think the one thing that I would note there is having talked to some of those publishers and kind of seen behind the scenes, I don't, again, nothing against Black Flag, but a lot of those people that are aligning with Black Flag are at this point planning on just publishing under the Creative Commons license for 5e and saying, oh, this is also compatible with Black Flag system. So I think Watsi, and they probably did it on purpose, but I mean, it was beneficial, but Watsi kind of shot Black Flag and Orc in the foot by putting out the Creative Commons license because now is there a huge reason to do Black Flag? Only if you like the changes that Black right. Flag is doing to the system. Um, and they have some cool changes. They have some cool ideas. I don't know that, like, will Black Flag be something that is more lucrative than 5e over the next few years? I don't think so. I don't think so. Will it be worthwhile to put a 5e logo in the corner of your book and a Black Flag logo in the corner of your book next year or the year after? Maybe. That might be something that you want to do just to communicate to both. But I think that at this point, the 5e pitch is going to be the main pitch you want if you're making your own stuff and black flag or orc, anything like that is going to be the additional one that you put on there as well to say, we also support this system and, and, you know, are, are aligning with them. If nothing else, just because we align with their values and with their priorities as what they're trying to do as a company and as a system. Um, I think, cause I think it is cool. Um, the other thing, remember once you go outside the, the GM's guild uh, and, and you're, more of the marketing is going to be on you. Uh, right now, a lot of times, the value of, of one bookshelf and drive through is that machine that they've got. You know, the people in the eyes of the machine, it works very well. But if you're going outside of that, you know, you can't just put a, a black flag, put out a PDF, expect people to come. It's not going to signal the same as it does when you have, you know, Eberron or whatever on your... On I would really like well, to... Yeah, go ahead. That's really... Kind of my take on their either DMs Guild or Drive Through getting a percentage. Mm -hmm. I look at it as advertising fees. Yeah. Yeah. Because I would. Their emails they send out, you know, and, and their presence on social media, whatever, mm -hmm. 
it's good advertising, especially when your book's first put out. You get that initial hit. Yeah. Of advertising. So. Yeah, I would say, um, like you're absolutely correct. Like, like especially with DMs Guild, like that's a great. Like, there's a lot of people that go to GM Guild and just check in and see what's new, right? Uh, Drive through is becoming more and more a library where you go. Because Jeff told you he has a book on there, and so you go find the book on there. It's becoming less and less because more and more people are putting on it. Your stuff, when you first publish it, is only a new product for a day. And then there's right. 30 new products that come out the next day. So the big reason that I shifted out of DMs, Guild, and Drive Through, and I still put stuff on Drive Through after I do the Kickstarter or whatnot. There's nothing that says you can't, and it's, it's, it's right. very lucrative. But... Um, I'm telling you, it's night and day doing a small Kickstarter and making, you know, even if it's just 500 bucks, a thousand bucks for your little 5e, like digital only product. That's, it's so hard to make $500 on the DM skill consistently. And it's very, it's, it's, I don't, I can't give you a number, but it's exponentially easier to do that on Kickstarter. So my system is. Put it on Kickstarter, make what you're going to make there, and put it on my web store, and put it on drive-thru, and make that money, too. Like, um, if you do it that route, you'll get that initial bump from the Kickstarter. Well, I think only yeah. got to figure out what you want, because there's a lot of stress. With there's Kickstarter. a lot of stress with Kickstarter, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's not, it's, not, it's not a walk in the park. But he is right, because if you, if you look, because you all know, I'm familiar with, the, you know, obviously the, the, the metal levels, go look at, like, big companies, in their PDFs and their releases, you're like, my goodness, some of these are like very low level metals. They made their money off of Kickstarter. They're not making their money off drive through. All drive throughs doing is, who knows, paying their taxes. I don't know what's doing. <laughs> it's not really, you know, driving income. So, you know, there is a definitely, like Zach said, if, if you want to make, if all you want to do is just write a few things and throw it out there, there's nothing wrong with one bookshelf. It's a great way to do that. The best, yeah. the best reason to go on drive through or DM skilled, the absolute best reason is because there's nothing that stands between you and putting a product out. And that is huge, right? And, and there's no size, minimum size. You can do a one page thing. You can do a few pages. One of the hardest things for a creator, a new creator is actually like, Taking that 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 huge first step and actually like putting something out in the wild and figuring out what does publishing look like and DMs Guild and Drive Through are excellent ways of you say like oh I released something and I didn't have sixteen people getting on the next day and telling me how bad it was right like you kind of get that like initial release jitters out of your system by putting some stuff out on Drive Through even if it's just small and it also it's crazy. It adds that little bit of like credential to you to say like I have a dozen pu- products on drive through or DM skill like that's a big thing to carry around with you in your pocket even if they're two pages like when you're talking to other creators or you're talking about freelancing for a bigger company or something being able to say like yeah I've put stuff out right. on drive through like that's meaningful it's super meaningful and so I I would say as a if if you haven't published before one hundred percent. Make a few small things, even if it's just, you know, five-page document that's just a bunch of random tables for a system or for a system agnostic. Like, that's a great thing to just get out there and get the feel of it down. And you um, can also get into the, the publishing bit by by doing, the, you know, the print-on-demand. You know, just pick a small product first and just try it out. Yeah. If it doesn't sell, at least you've, you've done it once. 
it's really cool to have your name on a book that's printed. And you can do that the cheap and easy way by just putting it on drive-thru and ordering yourself one copy. Now you have a book that has your name on it in print. Um, and uh, it's worth doing. Like, I mean, it, it does change your mindset on things. I, I remember the first few products that I did. And, like, the idea <laughs> of printing a book was this huge mountain. And the reality is that it's a lot, a lot more compact. It's actually not that hard in some yeah. ways, but you only learn that after the first few times and you know, making those first few times as easy as possible is, is a great tactic. So Yes, it is. Yeah. I have another question for you. Sure. If you're creating a full system and you're like taking bits and parts and doing it in different places, is that problematic? Like say you wanted to make a, a D20 system with uh, AP and you're just basically taking the different pieces that you like. Yeah. If you look at Kevin Crawford's work, uh, Stars Without Number, or that's what he did. He took the D&D character system, took the Traveler skill system, smashed them together, uh, rejiggered it to his own liking, and that's exactly what he did. Absolutely. But if you look, he does not have an uh, he does not have an OGL. Yeah. 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 He does not have an OGL because he doesn't need one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, hey, I've got to wrap it up. I got another game I got to get to, but I thank you guys for popping in. We have a booth down in the exhibit hall, World of Game Design. Um, if you have other questions about other systems or just want to talk more about Five E or DMs Guild or anything like that, love to do that. I'm there most of the time. A lot of time uh, tomorrow for sure. So really appreciate you guys popping in and uh, appreciate you. Thank you.